In today's podcast, we're going to be talking with Superintendent David Smith and Deputy Superintendent Katie Minahan. Our topic will be the statewide public release of iLearn scores that took place yesterday. All right, David, let's just jump right in. Yesterday when the scores were released, we see in the state of Indiana, 45 schools out of 17,000 saw a score increase. So your initial thoughts on the release of scores for iLearn? You know, it's really frustrating. As educators, we want to make certain that we are providing the best opportunities for our students. And you would think that then high-stakes testing would be um, some type of gauge or barometer to see if that was actually the case. But clearly, if only 45 schools out of 17,000 schools saw any improvement, that something has to be critically wrong. And then along with that, we heard yesterday, Katie, that the state is going to exercise the hold harmless provision uh, for the second time in four years. So just tell us a little bit about what does that mean? What are your thoughts, takeaways on that decision? Sure. So um, as most people know, the accountability system for the state of Indiana, every school receives a school letter grade, so um, an A through F. And so with hold harmless, what the state is choosing to do is either not assign a letter grade. We actually don't know the exact details of how they're going to hold harmless. When they did it previously, schools kept their letter grade from the previous year. Um, so they did not receive a lower letter grade. So a D, let's say if your performance went down, you received a D or an F, you wouldn't get that letter grade this year. Uh, the state has not told us the exact details if it's going to look the same or not. And I think what I would say for, you know, for EVSC, we appreciate that. We know with the the new test, there were um, dips in scores across the state. I think what's frustrating is it's just another Band-Aid. We did this four years ago. We're doing it again. Um, and instead of really getting to the root of the problem and looking at our accountability system and thinking about how we actually change that so that it adequately tells us about our schools, we just sort of keep Band-Aiding as we go. And I... Well, I think that's a key point because as with almost any challenges, there are always opportunities. I think the opportunity here is to take a deeper dive and and really question if we should have such an over-reliance upon one data point. And when you talk about one data point, let's just jump right into accountability. You've said many times you certainly are not fearful of accountability. You embrace it. But what would you like to see with accountability for our education systems? Well, you're right. Unequivocally, we believe in accountability, uh, and we we hold ourselves accountable. But uh, unfortunately, in the accountability system that we currently have, it is not one that measures the whole child, if you will. It just is one facet. And we actually are in a nation that now with the Every Student Succeeds Act, or known also as ESSA, that really is a basic tenet of ESSA. You have the permission, if you will, to have measurements that reflect the entire child. Indiana, unfortunately, has chosen not to utilize that. That's why there are two different accountability systems in the state. We have the federal accountability system as well as the state accountability system, which only adds to the confusion and the frustration. And when we when we look at that accountability system, and, and several of us have always had this conversation, it's such a struggle in the state of Indiana based on our past history. Katie, you've talked several times about as you look at accountability models across the nation, what do you see in a state that maybe has really hit the mark and, and really found a system that's working? So I would say um, I think there's really two core components. So one is we know that there is um, a federal requirement to have some sort of assessment, and and we aren't opposed to an assessment that looks at what students know and, and measures that, but we keep changing that. And states who've seen some success 
adopted college and career readiness standards, adopted an assessment to measure how students are proficient with college and career readiness standards, and kept that assessment and have moved towards that. In Indiana, we haven't done that. We've made multiple changes, and I think that's unfortunate because we're sort of changing the finish line a little bit. I think the other piece is is what Dr. Smith um, talked about is states took the ESSA guidance and created an accountability system that looks at things other than test scores. In Indiana, our high school accountability um, system does look at other things. It looks at grad rate. It looks at college and career readiness. It looks at things other than test scores. For our elementary and middle schools, we don't do that. Um, So all we look at is I learn or in previous years I step, and that's really unfortunate because that doesn't tell the whole picture um, of a school at all. And when you do that in a very unstable environment, which is what you alluded to, different test vendor, you go from a fixed form to an adaptive test, um, and then people want to track that over time to see if there's growth, if there's improvement or not, and yet there is no way that you can do that in any statistically reliable or valid manner. Okay, so let's look at the scores then we have, and if somebody is asking you, Katie, so what do you do with those scores? Whether we agree, disagree, whether we're frustrated with educators around the state, here in EVSC, what do we look at in terms of data so that we can take what we have to try to use it to our benefit? Sure. So I think I learned data points just like in the past with ISTEP. It's one data point that we will look at and use with other data points that we have to move forward. So I think our schools got them back. And after kind of taking a look to see what they said overall, we dig in to see What do we notice in grade levels? What do we notice um, across content areas? Are we finding um, any information that we can use to go forward? There were standards uh, on iLearn that weren't assessed previously on iSTEP, so I think that's information that our schools will use when we think about listening standards, some of those. Um, And I think what we do is we look at it in context of the other data points that we have. When we think about our elementary and middle schools, what is our NWA data telling us? That's something that we use three times a year with our students. It gives us growth information. How does that information that we have look at, give us some information around this iLearn data? Um, And then we have information about our students that goes outside of academics. That's critically important. When we look at our student surveys and how they tell us how they're feeling about school, that's important as we think about supporting the whole child. So our schools all have data teams. Our teachers are all um, used to digging in. They dig into their classroom data. They dig into our um, district assessments. So they, they're they always going to dig in and see what they can use um, to help us make things better for students in the classroom. That's also a very key point. Teachers have always uh, provided opportunities for students to display their knowledge. Sure. Call it quizzes, call it tests. Teachers have always dug into that information to see what did students learn, what do we need to go back and reinforce. So this notion that we have to do this because of high-stakes testing, uh, I think, is one that's false. And, and to Dr. Manahan's point, we have other data points that I think are much more reliable and much more stable that give us a truer picture of, of what our students do, not only academically, but also in the development of the entire child. And when you talk about those multiple data points, you've both said frequently that here in EVSC, we certainly do not embrace a one-size-fits-all approach. You want to touch on what that means to you? Certainly. Um, you know, we, we do have a variety of innovative models. We have a variety of opportunities for students. We have, a, we have undertaken a lot of research to understand what kind of environment students need in order to flourish, and we make certain that those environments exist in all of our schools, all of our innovative models. Uh, 
uh, we know so much more now about how students learn than we did five or ten years ago, and we're using that emergent research in the field of neuroeducation, neuroscience, to change our pedagogical practices and strategies. And it is making a tremendous difference. You know, since 2012, we have benchmarked our performance against peer districts in Indiana. Uh, and what we have seen in 2012, we were in the middle of the pack, and now uh, several years later, we're leading the pack. And I think that's really important for our public to understand that the strategies that we're deploying now, based upon the supports that students need today, are having a tremendous impact when we look at our peer districts. Everybody, every teacher, every school district in Indiana is doing their very best job possible. The difference, I think, is that uh, we all have students that come to us with various needs. Um, and we have some of the highest performing schools in the state. We also have some of the schools that have the students that have the most barriers in the state. So what I think our teachers have done with incredible success is no matter where students are, we've taken our students further. And uh, I think uh, because of that and because of the evidence of that, uh, our teachers should be very proud of the job that they've done. And unfortunately, their most recent release of the iLearn data puts a cloud of, of doubt in the minds of those in the public and, and others that perhaps were not doing a great job with their students. But our families know different. Okay, let's talk just a bit more about the peer comparison. You've both alluded to that. What is it we're talking about? What does that mean? How does it help us? Sure. In 2012, we selected nine other school corporations in the state of Indiana that had similar different demographics to EVSC. That's why you do a peer comparison. And actually, that idea came from my superintendent uh, business advisory council because that's how they benchmark their success against peer corporations. In other words, looking outside of just southwestern Indiana counties that are smaller, different demographics, that type of thing. Absolutely. Uh, So we've done that since 2012. And, uh, you know, we mentioned the precipitous drops that took place this year. Well, there were some peer districts that saw drops of 30 percentage points. Uh, ours actually were were not that significant. Um, and when you look at the gap then between EVSC and the state average in terms of passing both, we're now within two percentage points of that, which is a far cry from where we used to be several years ago, as well as our passing rates in math and ELA. With their, in urban school districts, there typically is a gap because you have some outstanding performing schools because of of their student demographics, and you also have schools that would struggle because of their demographics. We have a collage of all of those schools. Uh, but when you look at the the rate of improvement EVSC has made against the state, against peer districts, uh, our improvement has been nothing short of phenomenal. So I want to touch on that, and Katie, I'm going to turn to you for that. So when we talk about the peer district comparison, and the difference between our performance and the state average. Let's be perfectly clear. We would love to be able to say we were far above the state average, but when you look at the large urban districts around the state, you don't see that. Why do you not? What do you see the difference, the trends, as we compare ourselves to them? So I think I think this all goes to the point of context. So scores in and of themselves, scores in isolation, don't really mean a whole lot. So it's critical for us to say, how are we doing? What did we see in our scores? But what does that mean in light of the entire state and then districts that are similar to us? When we looked at our scores, when you, I think everybody got their scores this year and sort of 
took a deep breath and and then tried to say, what does that what does that mean? They don't look right. anything like last year's scores. So what what does that mean? So then for us, when we look at our peer districts and we saw, wow, we actually have moved to the top of that pack in terms of how we're performing with our students passing um, both ELA and math, because a lot of school corporations that are similar to us saw much bigger drops. And while nobody wants to see drops in scores, I think it actually really speaks to the work that EVSC has been intentional about doing for the last five, 10 years in terms of what we're doing in the classroom with instruction. We have been moving the needle for students in terms of their performance. It's unfortunate that this new test didn't really allow us to to continue to see that progress because of a change in metrics. And, and when we talk about scores dropping, I mean, go back to the very beginning of this podcast. We talked about the fact that 45 schools in the state of Indiana saw scores increase, only 45. So, I mean, you're not just talking about schools that have traditionally seen scores to be a bit of a struggle at times because of serving at-risk areas of the community. You're talking about schools that are in wealthier suburban areas that typically don't see that experience that as well, correct? Correct. Absolutely. And they took severe hits. I think that's why there was and such an unique. immediate call mm-hmm. for a hold homeless provision. Uh, but it's also interesting in that, um, and I'm going to get the year, I think, incorrect, but it was, I think, 2014 or 2015, we were basically at 80% passing in ELA and math. Uh, and that was really the benchmark that we were striving to achieve. And then we were making certain then that the interventions that we were putting in place for the students that had not achieved proficiency on the high stakes assessment assessment would would uh, jump over the bar with the additional interventions we were providing. But since Indiana has changed standards multiple times, since we've changed test vendors multiple times, since we've changed the type of test several times, uh, that unstable environment has really meant that we can't compare past performance with current performance. That's why I think, once again, with what Dr. Minahan said to add context, we look at peer districts and look at our performance when it uh, is comparable to peer districts. As I said, numerous years ago, we were fifth, and then we went to fourth, and then third, and then we were second for three years in a row, and now this year, we actually um, had the, the best outcomes of our peer districts. And maybe just let's think about a a few of the key things that we've put in place to see this type of growth and the things that are in place that we will hope to continue to see growth. What's going to continue to take us to the next level? So I think one thing that's been critically important is our coaching model. So I think everybody knows. You don't mean athletics, but for people listening that aren't familiar with this, we're talking academics. Very true. We're talking about teachers. I think um, it's critically important when you're in a role that you have an opportunity to get feedback and get job embedded professional development so that you can continue to improve. And that's something that we've worked to systematically scale across the district so that teachers are getting um, feedback on a regular basis about what's happening in their classroom um, so that we can move instruction to the next level. We've really thought about how we think differently about instruction in the classroom, how we increase the rigor, we um, increase opportunities for students to do more of the thinking, own more of the the burden um, of the work in the classroom and have an opportunity to work with each other in the classroom. I think those are critical pieces um, of the work that we're going to continue. And then I think the other part is really looking across um, schools and across um, students to think about what are the supports we need for the whole child. It can't just be about academics. We can't focus everything on just math, ELA, science, and social studies. We actually have to think about um, 
supports and, and interventions um, and curriculum that go outside of that. So let's wrap this podcast up with a couple of final questions. Katie, moving forward from your chair, you want to see what in terms of standardized testing, in terms of accountability? I would reiterate, I would love for the state to land on an assessment that measures college and career readiness and not change that assessment. So whether it's iLearn or whether we create another assessment and then stick to that and go forward, but we have to stop changing that and having this every year there's a dip because there's a new implementation. That doesn't do anything that's positive for our schools, our teachers, or our students. I think the other piece is we have to not just hold harmless and say, we won't do letter grades this year, we'll do them again next year. We have to actually say, there's probably something fundamentally wrong with our accountability system that we end up in these situations where we have to keep holding harmless. So let's actually get to the root of that, look at our accountability system and create one that is understandable to the public and to families that means something that looks at the whole child and doesn't rely only on one test score when giving a letter grade for a school. Well said. David, last question for you as superintendent, over 22,000 students in this community. Parents listening to this podcast, what would you like them to know as a takeaway? Well, I think I would like them to know, certainly, that we do put our students first. And unfortunately, I think in Indiana, as well as perhaps some other states, They put metrics before students, and we don't do that. We have taken the approach that our our, uh, high-stakes test numbers and those things may take a dip, but if we put in place long-term strategies uh, for the benefit of students not only to get to high school and to graduate, but also to make certain that they're successful throughout every stage of their life, that those are the kind of strategies that our public should expect, and those are the kind of strategies that we're deploying. Well said. Thank you both for joining us and a great discussion today. Thanks. Thank Thank you. you.